Hey there, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I pray that wherever you are listening, you are doing well, especially during this crazy coronavirus season that we've been in. Funny story, the state that I live in is beginning to relax some of their stay-at-home orders. And so our kids and uh, our little uh, toddler-age granddaughters came over over the weekend to uh, play, hang out. And the, the little babies, the little girls, went swimming in the little kiddie pool in the backyard. And apparently it was such uh, great fun that the next day, uh, Violet, one of our little granddaughters, grabbed her swimsuit at her house and walked towards the door and got to the door and looked over at her mom and said, bye-bye. And apparently she figures that now every day should be a pool party at Grandma and Grandpa's house. So that's how things are going in our neck of the woods. I hope things are going okay in your neck of the woods as well. Before we jump into the content of today's episode, I just wanted to say thank you to all the patrons of the Bible and Life podcast. You know, this show is made possible by the generous support of people who give regularly. It's a handful of people who are making a huge difference by making this podcast possible. And I would love to invite any of you who are part of the Bible and Life family that uh, want to support the show. You can swing on over to my Patreon page, become a patron of the podcast, and help support this show so that it can continue to grow, continue to make an impact in people's lives all around the world. All right, we've been exploring this topic of discipleship over the last handful of weeks on the podcast. It's a topic that's very, very like central to my heart, central to my thinking, both individually as a disciple of Jesus and pastorally as a pastor, helping churches think through their discipleship process and providing coaching on that and, uh, you know, just mentoring and discipling other individuals who are new to the faith or young in the faith or want to grow in their faith more. It's just something I've invested tons of my time and tons of my energy into because it's really central to what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a church. As we said in the very first episode in this kind of loose collection of things around this theme, we said that we have one mission as God's people, as individual Christians and as churches. We have one mission. It's the mission Jesus gave us before he ascended back into heaven, and that mission is go and make disciples. And and so we, we really have no other marching orders except for that. And so this is something that's really really central to everything we are, central to our identity as God's people. And that's why it's just so important for us to think deeply about, clearly about, personally, for our own discipleship, and even corporately, as far as in relationship to other people in our life who we want to help grow as disciples, we want to help become disciples, and all of that. And so that's really kind of the heart behind this uh, little series or loose collection of podcasts that we've been doing around this theme over the last handful of weeks. And on this particular episode... We're going to deal with really the first fundamental requirement of being a disciple. It is the thing that is required right from the outset. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to help somebody else become a disciple of Jesus, this is the requirement right from the get-go, right from the start. And frankly, it's actually something that, sadly, in the way we have shared the gospel with people, over the last 30, 40, 50 years, maybe longer, we have kind of left this out. It is something that in the way we even have understood, I think, the gospel, we have left this out. It's something that we, for whatever reason, have like 
minimized or we have soft pedaled or we have neglected or ignored, maybe even in our own discipleship, certainly I think in, in when calling people to be disciples. So this is, is really, really important for us to, to just look at, think about, and then examine really our practices as a disciple, our practices of making disciples. This is the fundamental first requirement of being a disciple. And to explore that, I want to begin by looking at a passage in Luke chapter 9. And it's a difficult text in Luke chapter 9. It really raises the question, wait, 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 what's wrong with Jesus here? What, what's up with him in this text? It's that kind of passage that if we really hear what Jesus is saying and we don't just turn a blind eye, we listen to it honestly, it should be a little bit shocking to us. It should capture our attention and it should make us pause and think, okay, What's going on with Jesus in this text? So uh, let's look at Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. Just to set the context for us, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. All right, Luke has already told us that. He's turned his, his sights on Jerusalem. He's heading to Jerusalem for his final kind of encounter there and then crucifixion in Jerusalem. And yet it's going to be a while before we get there. It's just the way Luke has framed up his narrative, framed up his story about Jesus. And so they're on the road heading towards Jerusalem eventually. And Jesus has um, three encounters with three would-be disciples that Luke records for us here. Just kind of shotgun effect real quick, one after the other. Here are three would-be disciples that come to Jesus or are encountered by Jesus in some re regard. And Jesus' response to them is shocking, surprising to say the least. Here is how it begins. The first one, not so shocking. It kind of makes sense, but it does raise some questions. So here's the first encounter. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 says this. As they were going along the road... Someone said to Jesus, so some would-be disciple, some person that, right, has been, I don't know, come in contact with Jesus, following Jesus in some way. Someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. So this person seems eager. They're ready to follow Jesus. They're confessing sort of their faith in Jesus. And here's Jesus' response to that, I will follow you wherever you go, verse 58. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so Jesus' initial, initial response to this guy, who says, I'll follow you wherever you go, is, okay, all well and good, that's fine. Do you know what you're signing up for? Do you know what you're getting in on? Foxes have their dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man, which is Jesus' way of referring to himself, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, like, I don't really belong anywhere. I don't have a den. I don't have a nest. I have nowhere to lay my head. If you're going to follow me, then you're kind of, you're roughing it. All right, you're roughing it. It's not going to necessarily be easy. Uh, it's like when um, me and my son and my brother, my father-in-law, right, my brother-in-law, when we'd go backpacking, we knew we were roughing it. And we even had tents, at least, in that situation. And we signed up to do that. Well, in this case, if you're going to follow Jesus, this would-be disciple, Jesus wants me to know right from the get-go, it's not going to be easy. I have nowhere to lay my head. I, I don't belong anywhere. All right? And so that's the first one. Second one is more shocking. And really makes you ask, man, Jesus, what, what's up with you? So uh, he said to another one. So here's another would-be disciple that Jesus is speaking to. And Jesus says to him, follow me. He calls this guy to follow him. And 
the man replied to Jesus, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now that seems like an honest request. It sounds like this guy is saying to Jesus, Jesus, my father has just recently died. We're planning his funeral. I want to follow you on the road, but can I go bury my dad first and we do the funeral and then I'll come back and I'll follow you. And here's Jesus' response in verse 60. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. All right, now wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's going on here, Jesus? That seems a little bit harsh, right? Like, that, doesn't that seem like the, the dude's dad is dead? And Jesus says, well, allow the dead to bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Wait, 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 what's going on, Jesus? Well, first off, we have to understand. We have to understand the cultural context. That will help us. That doesn't necessarily get rid of the shocking nature of it. It just shifts, changes the shocking nature of it from the way we hear it to their cultural context. So when, it's, when the guy says, first let me go bury my father, that doesn't mean his dad is dead. It means his dad is aging and he's getting older and he's going to die sometime but we don't know exactly when. It could be six months, could be six years, could be longer. In other words, what this fellow is saying is, I want to follow you, Jesus, but first I need to fulfill my social obligation to go and serve my father, particularly in his old age, when he has lived out his years and I have a chance to fulfill my obligation to him, then I'll get around to following you. That's why Jesus says what he does. No one or it says, uh, allow the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, those who are spiritually dead, let them take care of their own. You come and follow me. What Jesus is saying is, your, your responsibility to following me, to serving me, and to proclaiming the kingdom of God on my behalf, that is more important than your social obligation to take care of your father. Well, that doesn't change, really, the shocking nature, or that doesn't eliminate the shocking nature of what Jesus is saying, but it does change it. Jesus is saying he is really the highest social obligation. He is the mo serving him and proclaiming his kingdom. That's the most important obligation. It's more important than your responsibility to your father, which in their cultural context, shocking, surprising, right? Let me First, go and bury my father. And Jesus says, how about you come and follow me? You let the dead take care of their, their own dead. Well, then another one in the crowd or who's come along, Jesus, who's been in the crowd for a while, Jesus says to him the same. Another one comes to Jesus and says to him, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to go and say goodbye to those at home. Again, that seems like an honest request. Jesus, I want to go with you wherever you're going. Can I just go say goodbye to mom and dad, my brother, and my sister before I come and follow you? Verse 62, Jesus responds to him like this. Jesus says, no one after putting his hand to the plow and then looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And again, it's like, Jesus, what, what, what are you saying here? What's going on? This sure seems harsh. But again, let's stop and think about what we're really hearing. And then let's realize how shocking and surprising it is. So when the fellow says, First, let me permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. That's probably not the best way to understand the words. That makes it sound like 
uh, I just want to go wave goodbye, then I'll be on the door. Um, the idea in their cultural context, um, as we can best discern it, is not just say goodbye, it's ask permission to leave. It's uh, allow me to go before my father and gain his permission to take leave of those at home. And the idea is, in a Middle Eastern cultural context, even in some regards, clear till this day, the father is the highest authority in the family, the patriarch of the family. And so, in some regards, it may feel like a bit of a formality to us, but Kenneth Bailey, who spent his whole life ministering and living, he even grew up as a missionary's kid in the Middle East, he points out that even, even in the 80s and 90s, when he was still serving as a missionary in uh, the Middle East, that it wasn't uncommon for a fairly well-to-do businessman in the city, if he was going to take a promotion or shift jobs to get in his car, drive out to his father in the village, sit down around tea with his father, have exchange pleasantries, and then request permission to change jobs. And it may in some regards have been a formality, but it was an important formality nonetheless, and it was an important, really, uh, deference to his father as the patriarch of the family. Well, it's that sort of thing that's going on here where Jesus is has really provided this guy an opportunity to follow him and become part of Jesus' kingdom, and this fellow wants to go and make sure his dad is okay with it uh, because that's the way their cultural contexts work. And what Jesus is saying is, no, if you're going to be my disciple, then my kingship is more important than your father's authority. So not only is Jesus saying in this these little interchanges that I am your highest and most important social obligation, I'm more important than any other social responsibility, I'm also the most important authority figure in your life, and uh, every other authority figure must take second place to me. And so he says, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, imagine trying to plow while looking over your shoulder. You're not going to plow straight lines. You're going to make a mess of the field. That's the picture. No one, is, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Don't look back. Are you all in with me? Are you going to follow me? Now, what Jesus has said in these three little interchanges is so shocking so incredible that, again, Kenneth Bailey uh, would say that when he would go and he would teach this text in various Middle Eastern villages, like when he would be going in the churches in those villages and teaching through Luke and come to this text and walk through this text, the, the hearers of this text, and as Kenneth Bailey laid it out there for them, their mouths would drop open and they immediately would say things like, it's no wonder he got killed, speaking about Jesus. Like, in their context, this text was so shocking that they would hear this text and they would think, it's no wonder the people killed him because Jesus was challenging the social order. He was challenging the authority structures of the day. Here he was as a 30-something-year-old rabbi saying, I'm more important than your father. I'm more important than social custom. I'm more important than social obligation. I have more authority than the most important authorities in your life. And this is the really the central first uh, responsibility or requirement of being a disciple. And that's this, that it requires absolute allegiance to the primacy of Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, it requires absolute allegiance to the primacy of Jesus. Um, 
he's more important than whatever social norms, social customs, social standards, social prerogatives say. He's more important than uh, whatever society says is really the important thing. And so following Jesus is the most important thing, right? His kingdom is the most important thing. He's more important than whatever social authority structures are in place. What Jesus says goes. So do you defer to his authority over any other authority structure? If his authority contradicts some other authority, then do you follow Jesus, right? That's the, the force of this. Being a disciple of Jesus means absolute allegiance to the primacy of Jesus. That's the point of Luke telling this little interchange at this point in the story. Are you going to follow Jesus means, are you going to give up all of their social customs, all their social norms, and say, Jesus, what you say goes first. I will follow you first. You win. You're in charge. Your way, not my way. Your wisdom, not my wisdom. Your sense, not my common sense. What do you want, Jesus? That's what it takes to follow you. Now, when we first start following Jesus, we don't know what all that might mean, right? We don't fully understand that. It's just that what we see in this text is Jesus calling would-be disciples to make sure their comfort, their social responsibility, and the authority structures in their life put him at first place. Um, and then over the course of following him, we begin to figure out what that looks like and how that plays out. And so to be a disciple of Jesus means Jesus first, absolute allegiance to the primacy of Jesus. And that's what we see, for example, with the well-known calling of the disciples that become the apostles in, in the stories about Jesus in the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, for example, in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus comes and calls his first disciples, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 16, it goes like this, And Jesus was going along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, um, Simon's brother, and they were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. So that was their job. That was their role. That was the family business, right? Like uh, their grandpa had been a fisherman. Their dad was a fisherman. Now they were fishermen. It was the family business. This is the way the, way the family provided for themselves and made a living and had done so for generations. And so Jesus sees Simon and Andrew casting a net into the sea, and he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And how do they respond? Well, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when they do that, they are leaving the, the family business that has been going for generation after generation after generation. They are, uh, in some regard, abandoning their family and leaving them behind to follow Jesus. Same thing happens in the, the next interchange there in Mark chapter 1. Going on a little bit further, it says, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets because they were also fishermen. Likely, they may have been part of like a, a cooperative fishing venture with Simon and Andrew. Don't know for sure. Uh, but it's certainly, again, for them, a family business. In fact, in their case, their dad is mentioned, Zebedee. Um, and uh, they were mending their nets. Immediately, Jesus called them, and they left, catch this, their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. And they went away to follow him. And so they immediately left their father behind, left again the family business, and they followed him. What are we seeing happening in that case that relates to Luke chapter 9? 
Well, what we're seeing is they're leaving um, and going against social propriety, going uh, and leaving their father, Zebedee, behind and his authority. Now, we don't know how Zebedee responded. Maybe he was totally fine with it. Maybe he wasn't. But they're like, Jesus first, because being a disciple of Jesus requires absolute allegiance to the primacy of Jesus. And fundamentally, that's a heart set. That's a heart set. It's like, I will do what Jesus says, even if it goes against society. I will do what Jesus says, even if it's uncomfortable. I will listen to what Jesus says, even if it goes against the grain of everything I have been taught and believed. I will listen to Jesus. It's this heart set that says, Jesus's way is the way I will listen to him first. I will do what he says. And that's the very first requirement of being a disciple, that our heart is shifted. Even if we don't know all the implications, our heart is shifted to where we say, Jesus, I trust you. I have confidence in you. You're in charge because I believe you know what's best. You know what you're talking about. I will listen to you and I will follow you. And in order for us to be good disciples of Jesus, we need to uh, we need to have that very heart set that, that thinks and acts and wills that way. And then when we make mistakes, when we don't always do it perfectly, and we won't, when we don't make mistakes, we just own it, we admit it, we confess it to Jesus, and then we get back to following him to the best of our ability. And for my pastor friends, can I just point out one implication of this text for us? Um, and that's this, like, this text and others like this make me wonder, have we made it too easy for people to become Christians? And in doing so, are we forsaking our mission of making disciples? That if our mission is to make disciples, and to be a disciple means to follow Jesus and submit to his authority, sometimes I wonder if in our desire to I don't know, to to do what's pastorally smart? I, I don't really know if that's quite what I'm thinking of, but sometimes I just wonder if we have made it too easy to become a Christian and we're unwilling to maybe share the th this requirement. We're unwilling to share that the gospel doesn't just easily give you like a free ticket to heaven, that the gospel calls you to be a disciple of Jesus. And that means... You have to be willing to listen to Jesus and follow Jesus and submit to Jesus. Are we willing to share that as part of the task of leading people to Christ? Are we willing to actually share a gospel that calls people to be disciples? We'll talk more about that probably in later episodes in this series. But I just think that's one really important implication out of a passage like Luke chapter 9. Have we made it too easy for people to become Christians? All right, those are my thoughts on Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter 1 and the challenge of what it means to be a disciple. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you have a great week in Christ. I look forward to talking to you again next week.